morning. Easter, Easter time. I wonder if anybody came and you didn't move your clock last night and you're just here kind of surprised at the 9 o'clock service. You know. Okay, turn to Mark chapter 10 for an introductory. It's Easter season and we have an Easter play uh, like we do every year here, and um, and uh, we are thinking of what Christ did when he came into the world. What did he actually do? Mark ten forty five tells us because you know that some people say uh, Jesus was. Uh, an example, or he was a moral teacher or a prophet. But here we read why he really came into the world. Chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. This is one of our verses that we learn in Bible school. First star, when we start coming to church, this is one of those Verses that really is instructive regarding Christ. That he didn't come, he made the world and came into the world, but the world didn't minister unto him. It didn't recognize him, it didn't minister to him, it didn't worship him. But, but he said basically, I didn't come to get praise from the world or to be ministered to. I didn't come. I knew it would not recognize me, for I am light, and the world is darkness. The darkness comprehends it not. Wow. That's fine. I didn't come for that. This is why I came, verse 45. But to minister. Really, Lord? Yeah, to minister. Minister, to have compassion, to forgive, to heal, to teach, and look at verse 45, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's write down this word here on our iPad ransom. It's not that common in our everyday language unless we're talking about kidnapping. When somebody's kidnapped, what do the kidnappers want? A ransom. They want a payment. They want a payment. And usually it is money. Jesus came to be a ransom, to make a payment. To who? To who? Some theologians say, and they are wrong on this, that the payment is to the devil. It's not a payment to the devil. It's a payment to God. So you, you need to, and you and I, we need to think about this and process it uh, because it is very important why he came. Why did he come? To give his life. Lord, notice that his life is a payment, a ransom. Um, the word redemption, also the word ransom, ransom is lutron. There is a word for redemption with that word. I have it in my papers here, but I want to just make this, I hope it's, clear to you in principle that God God looks at us and says there's no way they can pay they cannot pay let me draw a picture this way here's God he's perfect and holy here's a sinner you and me and we, if we make payment to God, what would we make? What would we pay him? 
By the way, because of our conscience, we, we do this. It's even in pagan religions and stories of, of sacrifice that pagans made to the gods. In that case, then it's small g, the gods. You know, um, my pigs are dying. I need to sacrifice something to the gods so my pigs don't die. The wind at sea is not blowing. We need to make it across the Mediterranean. What? No, and the gods are angry with us. We need to make a payment. We need to do something about it. Make a payment. Conscience. Our concept. Guilt. It's a constant part of life. And, of course, in our modern culture, they want to nullify conscience. They would like, by the way, in Proverbs, and I am praying as I'm speaking, Lord Jesus, help me with what you want to say today. In Jesus' name. There are, there's in Proverbs, this is a text you should be aware of. Let's flip over there. Proverbs 6. As you come to the church, you are going to learn some verses that will stick. Um, We have 6 and um, 16. Yeah, 16, 6, 16, 17. We have seven deadly, they can be called deadly sins or abominable. They are abomination unto him, verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. If you read these, these sins, they are sins that our society promotes. They, they have no problem with these things. They justify themselves in sinful behaviors and sinful ways. They deaden our conscience. So conscience can be wounded, deadened, seared. It happens. But God is want, wants to say something to us this morning that is bigger than what our culture is saying. Our culture deadens the whole idea of sin. Maybe we could just say sin in our world, they tried to cancel it out. But the conscience of man has a hard time Processing when when I sin, that something bothers me, my conscience screams out from the cellar. You know what's wrong? What have I done? What what why do I feel this way? I have fear. Um, why am I troubled? Why do I feel guilty? And the world is wanting to process this life without it. But we are people that are not afraid of the word sin. Actually, we welcome it for our health. We are people that want to know what is it. And also, for us as believers, we have Christ who was the ransom or the payment for our sin so that we could have a free conscience, that we would live another way, that we would have freedom, we would worship. So that's our theme this morning. Okay? I'm going to stop right there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. The Lord Jesus, we bless our message. 
later today, and I mean this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Could you lean over to your neighbor and just say, what is he talking about? And answer, what is he talking about? Okay, you may be seated. Let's turn in our, our Bibles. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Huh? Hi, Cabo. Good to see you. Wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. Mm. All right. Uh, our prayer is, Ralph, Emily, our prayer is uh, we get something to carry home with us today. Amen. That's why we came and the spirit to move in our hearts and teach us doctrine. Because we, doctrine means we, we learn how to think with God's thoughts. So we have a little preliminary work that we have to do as we speak today about the ransom that was paid at the cross. So the, the homework or the little preface here has to do with the Jew, Jewish teaching in the very beginning, the five books of Moses in the beginning of your Bible are the five books. What's the name of the first book of Moses? Wow, you guys are on the ball. Genesis, the beginning, the beginning of everything, everything beginning, including uh, creation and the Jewish nation. What's the next book? Exodus. What does it mean? Uh, coming out. Coming out of where? Out of Egypt. What did they do when they came out of Egypt? What's the next book? Leviticus. And what is that book about? The law, sacrificial system of approaching God, priesthood, rituals, laws, regulations, Leviticus. Numbers is the history of how much they failed, actually, in regards to the law. And Deuteronomy is the repetition of the history with highlights by Moses making his uh, case that the Jewish people are, are blessed, that they are to remember, they are to live by the law, uh, and God has given them a covenant. If they will keep the law, if they will do what they are told, if they will, will obey, then they will be blessed. This model is repeated in life everywhere and I could describe it in a simple diagram and I I, I, I do this a lot but um, I want you to follow it with me basically it is God is holy man is not and by process by being good guy by keeping the law by behavior, by, by effort, by sincerity, by religion, you make it to God. You pay, you pay, and then God owes you. God owes you for the payment. What does he do for you? He blesses you. You make a payment. He blesses you. This is typical. It's in you and me. It's kind of written in our nature. I made a mistake. I pay for it. After I pay, we are, you know, you help me or you bless me. By the way, this is not only common with unbelievers that have this idea of, like, good luck, maybe doing something so that they will get a blessing, but it's also with Christians, and I'll put down here the word, the name Job. Uh, 
Job in the Bible. He had this idea too. But this is not the gospel. This is religion. This is conscience. This is payment. This is when you pay. When you pay for what you have done wrong. Our legal system and civil law is based on this. You pay for your crime. You pay for what you have done wrong. You pay for it. This is the whole idea. But in our, in our book of Hebrews, which is where we'll turn, this system passes away. It's replaced with another one, the gospel. You see, when Christ came into the world, it is infinitely different from this system. It is another a whole different thing. It's another message. It's another covenant. This is called the first covenant, the, Deuter- the Mosaic covenant, the, uh, um, the agreement that God made with the Jews in Deuteronomy 28 to 32, where we read about, you know, if you will obey me, then I will bless you. But there's a problem with it, and that is when I don't obey him, when even more, I don't want anything to do with it, even more, I could care less than what, what is there for me. I have no relationship with God. And actually, to be honest, I don't want to have one. I'm afraid of him. Or he will judge me. He is bloodthirsty. He is not gracious, not kind. He's hard. It's a hard covenant. It's, I cannot, I am not satisfied when I get up here and this little stairway is really smacking of something that historically was, was true. A monk in Germany went to Italy as a Catholic and he climbed the stairs on broken glass. And this were, these were the, the stairs I understood to be transported from Jerusalem that Jesus went up to speak with Pilate. And the Catholics put broken glass on the stairs and on your hands and knees you go up the stairs praying. And when Martin Luther got to the top, he said he found nothing, no peace. He did not find. Okay. Well, let's wait for the phone. Sometimes the person that has that problem, they're deaf. They don't even hear it. And we just hear it through the whole. just keeps. Okay. Martin Luther tells a story that he returned to Germany from his pilgrimage to Rome, unsatisfied, guilty, climbing stairs on broken glass. It didn't cleanse his conscience. It did not change his life. It was not enough. You're never, it's never enough in this picture here. That's why God, in his wisdom, in the perfect timing, revealed his new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah 31, and the apostles and the prophets explained to us in the epistles, and that Christ told us at the Last Supper, at the Last Supper, wow. You know what, a a little aside here, at the Last Supper, Jesus knew one of them would betray him, and he said, one of you will betray me, but he didn't say who it was, because, because he let it sit. One of you will betray me, and then stops 
He lets us sit because we that are like at the bottom of the stairs here with some sense of how wrong we can be are wondering, is it I? Why did they, why did the disciples say, is it I? Who is it? Lord said was said by John. But all the others, and, and Judas, Judas Iscariot said, Master, is it I? And he very well knew it was, for he had already agreed with the priests that he would be paid 30 pieces of silver to betray, identify Christ. This is another interesting point. In Gethsemane, in darkness, who, which man is Christ? The one that I kiss. I will identify him by a kiss. We will give you 30 pieces of silver. They were very happy about it, by the way. They were happy about it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Point is, I could say that. Is it I? One of you will betray me. And I'm there. I say, I have that capacity. We all do. We all have a sin nature. This is called total depravity. This is universal. All of us except Christ. Christ had no sin. That's why he became a ransom to the Father. He became the Lamb of God to take away our sin. For the Father required a just Sacrifice without blemish and without spot. A, a perfect lamb, but not of corruptible material, like gold and silver or the blood of an animal. But it had to be incorruptible. But it was also mortal. For he had a mortal human body, and his blood was not the blood of a sinful man, but it was the blood of the Son of God. So let's look at some of this in Hebrews 8 and verse 6. I'll try to go slow because there's a lot to process. We're going to go somewhere. I've got one thing to say. We're going to go there. i got a lot of side things to say. By the way, to those that do not believe in hell, you have to process this scripture. When Christ talked about the man that would betray him, he said, it would have been better that he had never been born. Now look at this picture. I think I've got too many side points here. Here's a man's life. Here's Judas's life. And he's alive and he has... Good times and he bad times and good times in life and he lives his life he just like you and I and he betrays him and that's a bad thing. If there is no hell and there his life is over, there he doesn't go to heaven, but he his body is annihilated. Then could you say it been better that he had been that it would have been better that he had never been born? You wouldn't say that unless he's going to go to hell. Wow. Why would he go to hell? Because this is the big thing that many people don't understand. You are a mixture of animal and angel. And put in those terms just for you to be simple and profound. I am like an animal... As we know, and actually the world says we have evolved and we are nothing but an animal. But we say as Christians, we are made from the dust. And to the dust, our body returns, but it doesn't stay there. Death and hell will be brought up out of the earth and we will stand before God. Unbelievers stand before God in the white throne judgment in Revelation 20. That's why it had been better that, that Judas had never been born. Because he will stand there before God. 
and the books will be opened. And he's responsible for what he did in betraying Christ. But if uh, if the if the there wasn't any hell, but there was some annihilation, then you're erring a couple of ways. One of them, you're not reading your Bible. Number two, you're underestimating what you are. You think you are just an animal? You are more like an angel. You are spirit. You are a worshiper of God, and you know that you are. Even an unbeliever knows that. That's Romans 1, 18, 19, 20. It's revealed to us. We are believers in God. 96% of the human population of the world believes in God. You have to be very educated not to believe in God. And I say that, I don't know, some, some sarcasm or some funny way. The only, the only atheists I've ever met are like highly educated people. And then it's like, they, it's, you can shoot it full of holes. Okay, that's another point. I'm, I told you I need to pray for this, that, that um, this will go where I want, way the Lord wants it to go. Okay. What is Hebrews 8 say? Hebrews 8 verse 6. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry. Jesus has. The better ministry. Not of the priests of the Old Testament, but how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Better ministry, better mediator of a better covenant with better promises. Let's draw it this way. To just, here, here is the average person in the world that they live in is like this. The world they live in is just, just simple. They may be religious, may they may not. They live by what they see, what they feel, what they can figure out. They see Christ dying the cross, but they don't know what it is. They don't know what it is. I was thinking of that last night. Like there's like keys that open up a bigger world for me, and even as a child. Like a child doesn't understand what the car keys are. You know, here are the car keys. So the, the, the child is three years old. They don't know what they, that means. They don't know what car keys. You see, Dad did get the car keys and go to the car. And then he turns and we, you know, makes big noise. And his understanding. And by the way, many adults live in a very childish way. Because they haven't grasped deeper things. When Christ is crucified on the cross, they just see a man in agony and they don't understand what is happening. He's a ransom. He is a payment to God. But I can't see God. And I don't know what the payment is and I don't know what it is for. Very typical. They don't understand it. But you and I have the Holy Spirit that is to teach us and help us understand something that is called the gospel. The gospel is something different. It's a new covenant. It's something profoundly, incredibly, infinitely important to us. The gospel. No payment. I make no payment. Turn now to Hebrews 10, and we can look at, start from verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come. What do you mean, the law? Well, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the core books of our Bible, everything is spinning off of that. And the law is given in Exodus and Leviticus for us to know how to live and and how to approach God and how how to be cleansed and how to be saved. And we have a priest, but he's of the earth. We have blood, but it's from animals. And they go every year and they offer up the blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. But does it work? But does that little program work? Does the blood of animals take away sin? Does it cleanse their conscience? Does it empower them? Does the, does the law work? It says here in verse 1, it is a shadow of good things to come. The shadow of a car? The shadow of a bus? Can you get on the bus on the shadow of the bus and it'll take you from one place to the other? Can you get into the shadow of a car? The shadow is not the reality. Can you sit in the shadow of a chair? Sit in the shadow. <laughs> we will land on the floor. It is a shadow. The law is a shadow. If you read verse uh, 1, it says, And not the very image of the things that can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect or mature. It could not change them. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. I mean, if it worked, the offerings would have stopped. But they did it year by year. Because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. If it worked... They'd be free. No more guilty conscience. No more uh, drudgery of religion. No more repetition of the behaviors that was to just uh, sanctify them and make them better. It didn't work. Because there was no real change. Because there was no Christ. It was a shadow of Christ coming but it wasn't Christ as a system. And we want to say we can all understand that because it's what we fall into all the time, this stairway, staircase approach to God. But I want to show you the gospel here. The gospel is when God looks at a sinner and says, he can't do it. He doesn't even, some don't even have a heart for it. Uh, some people are so troubled in life, they don't believe in God. Uh, people are um, disturbed even by talking about sin or even death. They don't want to talk about it. So God, here's the gospel. God sent his son who became a ransom for us, a payment that satisfies God. And it's not from you. Here you are, here we are in our, in our little world with our little, little systems and conscience and guilt and religion and so on. And God is saying, no, it doesn't work. Of course, God knew this, but he wants to educate us. So he has periods or dispensations of time where he teaches us and shows us things. But all the time, it's grace. Salvation is by grace. Way back with the time of Adam when he sinned and he left the garden uh, the garden, he was out of the garden, but God killed animals and clothed them by his grace. Enoch walked with God, 
by God's grace. It says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was always this way. The gospel is God coming here to you and I like this. He comes. How much sin does Christ take upon his body? 1 Peter 2, 23. How much sin does Christ take on his all the sins of the world? 1 John 2, 2. What kind of sins? The seven abominable, deadly, plaguing sins. All kinds. Adultery, lying, bad behaviors. All of our sins. All of them. All the sins of the world. He made a payment. His blood Blood, that's important, the blood. The payment is the shed blood, the perfect blood. Well, is God bloodthirsty? Not for the blood of men, but for the blood of the Son of God. It said it pleased him to bruise him. You see, because the Son and the Father made an agreement in love, like the Father says, I love fallen man. And the Son is there saying, I love fallen man, and I am obedient to you, Father. And the Father sent the Son, and the Son was always obedient, even though the payment for our sin was infinitely horrible, painful, ripping the Son from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, 1. As a man in humble obedience, this pleased the Father. Well, what do you mean? Is a father, is he like a masochist or sadistic or? No, it's love. It's truth. They were in agreement It's the manifestation of an infinite love to save us. There is no salvation without that. There is no Redeemer. There is no Savior without the blood of the Son of God. There is no plan that will work except this one. Now look at what happens. He comes. He takes up the cross. He dies on the cross. We hardly understand what happened on the cross. But I want you to kind of get it. Come on, let's go. Let's get this. Can you get it? It was about him loving you. It was a payment so you would be free. It was a ultimate sacrifice for our salvation. It was so that we would be imputed with his righteousness. Our sins go on him and his perfect life and obedience 100% is legally imputed to us. For he that became sin, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's 100%. Righteous. This is not stairs going up to try to make it from myself. Now, some of you do live in guilt. We all do in different ways. We do. We, we, tr- we struggle with it. But this message is meant to help us. When God says, I do not condemn you, it means there isn't any condemnation in God regarding you. He cannot condemn you, for he condemned his son so that you could go free. You would have a new life. He would give you a new heart, new spirit. He would speak in favor of you. 
You would be more than a conqueror. You would be redeemed by his blood, not your efforts, but by his ransom. His blood shed for you and I. This is remarkable. Wow. I don't know. We got to look at the scripture again here for a minute. Well, the same text, but it goes on. Look at verse 3, Hebrews 10, 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. It is, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Do you get it? They could not. Sometimes in my teaching, remember the Barbie doll, the little Barbie doll uh, play play uh, set? Barbie doll house, Barbie doll doll, uh, her boyfriend or husband, Ken, uh, the little grill in the backyard, the little car. And they get in and the clothes and the furniture in the Barbie house. Okay, is that reality? It's not reality. It's a child's uh, imagination. It's not real. But it's, uh, it's something that you can look at and understand what is reflecting. It's reflecting a reality. And when we look at the first covenant, we see a reflection of a reality, but there is no way it works. Just like Barbie and Ken, it doesn't really work. It's very similar. But does this work in your life? Does it work? Is it real? Is salvation a real thing where my conscience is cleansed? I am free. Is it true that we are seated in heavenly places? Is it true that we died with Christ and now we live, but it's not I, but Christ in me? Is it true or not? Well, here's the, here's the issue. It is true. But I've got to be honest, some people rather live in their ignorance in this world of bondage, and they don't believe it. If it is told to them, they may not believe it, or if they believe it, it goes away quickly. It doesn't relate to where they are, and they go on in their, and I don't know how to say it, but they go on in their doubt and insecurity and maybe even when Jesus says to the believer, one of you will betray me, you will say, is it I? Why do I say, is it I? Because I'm not sure about myself. I'm not sure if it works. I'm not sure about your love. I'm not sure about grace. I don't know if this will really work for me. Is it I? That's the nature of life. But there's also another one at the table, and it was John. And he didn't say, is it I? He said, who is it? What does he reflect? He reflects a person with a understanding, because he, he has his head on the chest of Christ at the Last Supper. It's written there. He is the one that Jesus loves, and he's close to the heart of Christ. And he has, he, it kind of, it's not written explicitly, but it infers that that man had a greater understanding or confidence of God's love for him. And he's saying, I, I know I'm not betraying him, but you know, you know that Peter said, I'm, I'm not betraying you. It says, I, we will go and die with, I will go and die with you. And it says, all of the other disciples said so. Of course they did, because when it's time to be a hero, maybe I can be that hero. I can be that hero. But in this gospel message, it is you can't. 
I mean, you may show up, but you, you, Peter did follow, didn't he? He warmed himself by the fire. But then he denied him at the fire three times, and the cock crowed twice. I was reading that last night. It goes like this in the gospel. I think it's in, is it in Mark? He's at the fire, and he, he denies Jesus the first time, and the cock crowed once. But it didn't get Peter's attention. It didn't hit him. Not until he denied him uh, two more times at the same fire, and then the cock crowed twice. Then, then he, the cock crowed a second time. I hope I'm reading it correct way, but it provoking you anyway to study it out and think about it. My point is, we don't do good. That's all. I need the gospel. I need the gospel. We, that's, that's what this is about. This is the blood of Jesus is in heaven on your behalf, so you have a new birth. Because of the new birth, your world changes. And I am not kidding you. Your world, your world, the common world, the world, the beltway world, the world in your car, in your house, the world with your kids or without them or a single lady or a man or married or divorced or whatever, the slave, the employee, the CEO, the unemployed, the person in trouble with cancer, whatever, all of our life, our world is affected by the living God who became a ransom that we would have another understanding and that this understanding would help us in our life. It would help us. No, even more. It would change us. And not, no, it would actually give us hope. Guys, you know, when somebody's in prison and they shouldn't be, they need hope. They need God. When somebody has fourth stage cancer, they need hope. They need God. I'm not saying God owes you anything. This is the kicker, and maybe we can finish with this. When this becomes your world, you don't say, God, you owe me something. You say, I love you. You don't owe me anything. Remember this here? This one. I'm doing your will, you owe me. I am behaving, you owe me. Remember that? You owe me. You, you, you don't think like that. I mean, that's not, that's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. It is. You came here and loved me. And that love means you love me. And so now... You took, you gave me a new heart, and you gave me a new spirit, and I love you. You don't owe me anything. I love you. You don't have to treat me good. You already saved me. I love you. I don't know how life will go for me. It might not good, be good, but that's okay, because I got you. I, I got you. You are with me. You love me. You gave me your son. How shall not you with him freely give me all things that I need? The things that are really the important things that I need, like love. That's what I need, love. How would you not give me freely all things, like your love? I can endure all things, believe all things, hope all things. I can worship you. You love me. I love you. I, you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me a good life. You don't owe me a good marriage. You don't owe me a good kids or good money or good career, good job. You don't owe me anything. You gave me your son. The reality is that I have a freedom with a good conscience and with love in our hearts. And we are able to live a new life of love. Listen to me. Guard yourself from the message in this world, which is people owe you. You're a victim. You are owed. They owe you justice. 
they owe you um, a good life. Well, be careful. It goes to God. God owes you. God owes you. You know, God doesn't owe you and I a thing. He gave us everything that is most important. Hey, life happens. You're not entitled. You don't have entitlement mentality. I'm entitled to a good life. I'm entitled to a good job. I'm entitled to a, a long life. I'm entitled to a good marriage. I'm entitled to good, uh, good this and that. I, I'm entitled. I'm a, hey, listen, I'm entitled to that. No. You betrayed him. And you'd betray him again. And your payment stinks. In Isaiah 64, it's filthy rags. The best you can do, you go up those stairs and it means absolutely nothing. It's vain, empty, foolish, sinful, wicked, abominable, proud, arrogant, self-effort, and self-righteousness. We need the Son of God. We need the gospel. We need salvation. We need a Christ riding on a donkey who says, without me you have nothing. And when you have me, then you have everything that you actually need, which is him. Who is love? Then you suffer well, you and I. And I'm not saying it to you like accusatorily, but I'm saying it to all of us accusatorily. (laughs) I say we are stupid, plain, simple, ignorant, blind, selfish, small world people. And I'm preach saying this today, that the Lord wants our life to be enlarged and understand what he, he did for us. It is in the words of the apostles, unspeakable gift, exceedingly abundant, beyond the height and depth and length is beyond our comprehension, passing knowledge, way above and beyond our narrow, small-minded world. It is God and his love. And when you meet a Christian, one man in the voice of the martyrs, they, they persecuted him in Bangladesh because he's very outspoken. And they took him to the hospital. They beat, they, he was beaten by Muslims. He was beaten. They was taken to the hospital. The hospital was against him also. They gave him a medicine so he would permanently, he lose, lost all his hair permanently, uh, went, injured his back. It's an interesting story, but to, just to say, this man, when you have the Spirit of God in you, when we have the Spirit of God in our life, it's just absolutely extraordinary and beautiful. And that's what you and I are called into. Yeah. Amen.